Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you on a rainy day from Charleston, South Carolina. We had enough sense to come in out of the rain, but you may be hearing (laughs) some thunder in the not-too-distant future. And a good day to make the podcast. And this is the podcast for number 120 from April 2015. Now, you would think that a monthly podcast that has 120 episodes would be 10 years old. But we did some doubles. Exactly. So, ladies and gentlemen, you will have to wait until December, until the big RV Navigator 10-year celebration. Really? It's been that long? It will have been. Wow. But we This isn't an April Fool's. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, that's right. It is April Fool's. But, no, we will be celebrating in a big way another bottle of champagne. Okay. And more debaucherous <laughs> comments. <laughs> and comments from our listeners. <laughs> what a bad job I did. I, I don't think they said that. Oh, well. They just saw a side of you that they hadn't seen before. <laughs> oh, well. That's what happens on January 1st. No, that's what happens with champagne, whatever the, the I day. I see, I see. And I'm also scratching here terribly because I've got ugh, these bites, these little no seams all over. So pardon me if I scratch just a little bit. And we cough and we hear the thunder and <laughs> a great day. But it's going to be a fabulous pet podcast. As always. As always, because we have many interesting topics. We've been doing lots of fascinating things that the co-pilot has loved. And it wouldn't just be our voices this month. No, it would either. have an interview, yes. So we've spent almost the entire month of March in South Carolina, except for a brief stop in Brunswick, Georgia, which is an area I would recommend. Yes, we had a good time the there. Coast, the coast, the islands, sea islands there yes. were very picturesque. We went to Jekyll Island and took some great pictures. Uh, if you're a photographer, they have a beach full of... Driftwood. driftwood, big driftwood. Trees. Trees. It was really fascinating and, and a great photographer's exercise. And a nice exercise. place to take a bike. We yeah. had a good time. So it did cost <laughs> cost you $6 just to get on the island. Well, you pay it's that just much a, to They park. call it the parking fee. Not yeah. not for the bridge, but for the parking fee. Yeah. But, That's okay. okay. It was worth it. And the weather was decent, so that was good. So we might have stayed in Florida just a bit longer because we're always trying to follow the 72-degree temperatures <laughs> as we travel. No air conditioning. And no heat. But Ken had some serious business, which took him da, 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 da. To, to Gaffney, Gaffney South, South Carolina. Carolina. And what is in Gaffney, South Carolina? Not much. Oh, it's the peach. What's the, the peach thing? Oh, yeah, the water tower shapes yeah. like a peach. But more importantly, it's the home of Freightliner. We went to Gaffney, South Carolina, or I did. I actually drove there all by myself with the motorhome. Without the navigator's help. And parked in the Freightliner training center. Center chassis parking lot where they had uh, 50 amp hookups, quite a few of them, and that's also where you go to get your coach fixed if you need it fixed. Freightliner uh, makes about 80% of the diesel chassis, so they were there were coaches from all the different brands. There were about 20. This was very interesting. Also, about 20 owners there. Half the class was women. There were three coaches with dual women owners. Good Co- for them. Couples. 
Well, I thought that was kind of interesting mm-hmm. that they were coming it fit the to learn. It was not all just men and not couples. Most of them were of my vintage, however. Now, this is hard for you to believe, dear listener, but there were two full days. They went from 8 in the morning until 5.30, 6, and even into 7 o'clock at night on the two days that we had the workshop. And they talked about all of the things that you need to know about your engine, transmission, and chassis, because that's what they make. When they ship the components to the builder, it's just a frame rail and an engine sitting on the back and a steering wheel on the front. The rest of it, of course, is all built by your coach builder, in our case, Numar. So Numar covers the warranty for all of the stuff above the wheels, but Freightliner covers the chassis and and the engine and all the other components. So we learned about transmissions and when to shift and how to shift and when to use the engine brake and about air brakes and about airbags and about weights and measures and filters. And And they gave you a 300-page book. In case you forgot some of the things you learned. But uh, I'm not going to go through all the... (laughs) All of the things we learned, because I can't remember them all, but the book is very helpful. The thing to remember, though, if you have a Freightliner chassis, is that they have an 800 number that's staffed 24-7, and they are there to answer your questions as an RV person. Now, this is not Freightliner chassis for trucks. This is Freightliner chassis for, they call it custom chassis, so they make the chassis for Tiffin and for Mar and for Monaco and for Integra and a lot of other companies. So they have a 24-7 staff of people that are there to answer your questions. And we can attest that it really is true because when we left Florida on a Sunday morning, um, a a light came on on the dashboard that we did not recognize, a warning light, a caution light. And well, it was not pictured as an icon in any of the print materials that yes. we had, and so we gave that number a call. Yep. And even though it wasn't directly their problem, no. they could tell us what it was and reassure us that it was safe to drive on. And I was very grateful for that. Yes, indeed. And what was it, as, uh, what was it for? It indicated that you had not put your TV antenna down. But because I replaced the TV antenna, the sensor had apparently been disabled. I have no idea where that sensor is. But. So it's still on, but our <laughs> antenna is down, and we're good to go. Right. So Gaffney, worth it to go to, a uh, two-day workshop if you're in the area. We also, of course, had the coach serviced. They have a, a major service area, and they say the tough problems need to come to us to get fixed. And as we've mentioned many times before, we kind of believe, in, as long as we're mobile, that we should just bring the RV to the factory or to the company that built it, whether it's HWH, whether it's uh, Elkhart for the stuff above the wheels or Gaffney for the actual chassis itself. We just feel you may as well take it to the guys who really know. And they they do know, and they do give you better service. And so they did their 50-point checkup and checked the wheel bearings and all the other components. And they actually found something that I had no idea was a problem. You know, as you get old, your hearing goes. Yes, it has. <laughs> and we apparently had an air leak in one of the in the air gauge on the dash did you hear it no and the guy jumps into the coach and to take it over to the repair and he says you've got a leak in your (laughs) your air cage and i couldn't hear it and of course it just kept re-airing itself it wasn't a serious leak 
it, so it, you couldn't be aware of it that way. Yeah. No, but well, but of course the air would leak out faster once the engine's off. But uh, I mean, it really didn't cause us any trouble. But he said you have an air leak, and it's it, not right. Yeah, and so they replaced the gauge <laughs> to the tune of four hundred twenty-five dollars. But the installation was only $25, so that was good news. Uh, and, and things like that, they check over. And, you know, it just makes you feel good that you've got a coach that's uh, in pretty good shape. Being three years old, it needed, um, you know, they emphasized that it's not miles, it's time. So we had things like the air filter. I hated to have the air filter replaced after 12,000 miles. But they say they deteriorate with time. Yeah, are they selling me a bill of goods? I don't know, but I'm trying to keep it in good shape. And certainly experience has taught us that we end up in a better place if we go to the originator of the product mm. rather than stopping in repair facilities along the way. Often I, yeah. I can remember them calling the manufacturer of the product with yes. questions, so right. you might as well just go to the people who make it unless you've broken down and you have no choice. So that seems right. to be a good way to handle preventive maintenance and then not and you know one of the things I asked them how do I have my motorhome towed I w hopefully we won't have to have this but there's a criteria for having it, it towed as a matter of fact one of the things you have to do is usually you have to have the drive shaft disconnected and you can't lift it too high and there are all sorts of issues and I was surprised that if I have independent front suspension which we do that requires a different kind of tow vehicle tow wrecker and they said that before you call Good Sam or whoever to tow you, call Freightliner first because they know with your chassis how, what to tell the tow guy to make sure that it's a safe tow. Kind of scary. I haven't needed to be told, but there were quite a few people in the class. You know, everybody shares stories. There were quite a few people who had stories about towing, and they hadn't called Freightliner, and some of them were good stories and some were bad. But once again, the 800 number is the thing to, to start with. So why didn't you come with me to this class? Now, just for a few extra dollars, you could have joined me well, I and learned all these informational things yourself. I went to a similar se seminar when we had our old Dutch star on a Spartan chassis, and I kind and of where was that? I kind of vacillated between boredom, terror, and confusion. And by the end of the week, I felt like I really hadn't gotten enough out of it. Um, sad to say, and the fact that my sister lives less than an hour away from Gaffney. Oh. Um, also made it easy to play hooky and not go to school with you. I see. The, uh, I should also mention they also had a nice naked chassis there so they could show you all the things that you have heard about but didn't know where to find them on your motorhome. That was quite an inter interesting process. All the little components are like to pull your lanyards, which we've mentioned before. But. but I did join you the next day for a tour of the factory. I love to go on factory tours yes. and see how things are put together. Together. And what impressed me the most in this particular tour was the just-in-time nature uh -huh. of the assembly of the chassis. And they had these big bins of components that would show up at the chassis just at the right moment. Uh, some were being pulled around mm -hmm. by robot drivers. And the workers were not having to deal with huge supplies of inventory sitting all over the place. It was a very streamlined operation. That was impressive. Yes, and they were building... Uh, school bus chassis and chassis for UPS van type things and then motorhomes and things were going great guns they were the motorhome assembly line was running 10 hours a day and they were thinking about putting on a second shift so that 
means that motorhomes are selling well, and that's good for the RV industry. Our guide wasn't just a guy with a no. suit. He was from the line, and he was delighted to be speaking with us because it gave him some variety <laughs> in his day because he admitted that the job can be rather tedious and boring, and he said you don't do any one thing for more than two hours, so they tried to switch people around. They also had signs up for people to stop and exercise to avoid um, carpal mm. tunnel and repetitive stress injury type stuff. And he spoke very highly of management's listening to suggestions that the guys with the grease under their fingernails made this was, and following course, through on them. Of course, a uh, non-union sort of shop, right. but they s- seemed to think that that was working out quite well for them. And I think if management and labor get together and can work cooperatively, together. right, cooperatively make the workplace better, they had wrung out 30% of the time it takes to build the motorhome chassis in the last few years by making the workers more efficient. Now, of course, Streamlining operations. Right. So people don't have to get up and walk around. They have air machinery that, that does things for them so, so that they can be more efficient while they're working. Of course, that could be taken in another way, too. Mm-hmm, but. Mm-hmm. So you visited your sister, and we spent some time in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and then we headed off to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Myrtle Beach has been a favorite <laughs> spring break vacation stop for us since the early 80s, I would say. Living in Chicago, it meant we didn't have to drive quite as far as Florida, but it was certainly warmer than we were, yes. and we have really enjoyed watching Myrtle Beach grow, prosper, and sprawl. Uh, so many RVers there, so many huge, huge campgrounds, park. so many places to store RVs because we got the impression that many people who come and camp, and I'm using that in quotation marks at Myrtle Beach, don't even know how to drive their own RVs because they have them stored in giant lots and they pay somebody to place them on the campsite while they're there right. and take it off again. And if you're one of the 305 people who have joined our Google Plus page, hint, hint, then you saw pictures of our campsite, which was oceanfront. Right on the water. Which we could never afford at other times of the year. But at this time of the year, it was only 40-some-odd dollars a day, and with full hookups, of course, but at the prime season, which starts April, you would have to pay in the order of $80 a night. So they definitely have seasonal rates in Myrtle Beach. And the time we were there, uh, $40 is about all I would pay because it was Rightly cold. So, yeah. we had two, <laughs> There's no beaching. In the week we no were water. there, we had two wonderful but, days in terms of the weather. But, but the water was 58 degrees, certainly yeah. too cold to go swimming. But it was very nice to be on the beach. And that's a, a special experience for us. And and I read that Myrtle Beach has more shopping opportunities than any other city or town in <laughs> South Carolina, which was easy to really, believe. Really, more than any place else. Um, <laughs> tons of golf courses, mini golf courses, Well, and two tanker outlet malls, yeah. Um, it's really tacky. It is. Very family. Family friendly. Right. Miniature golf, just all sorts of... <laughs> manufactured uh, entertainment venues, I would say, including an amusement park. But if you're looking for someplace to go and take your RV, they've got campsites out the wazoo. And seafood buffets. And, of course, our stay there was made much more fun by the fact that we were joined by our friend Mike, who was doing the maiden voyage with his new RV. 
and joined us there, both our week in Myrtle and the following week. Right. And that gave us a chance to debrief him and find out how he feels about his RV life at this point. And you recall that he had bought his motorhome but hadn't taken delivery the last time we talked with him. And he and his dog finally had the opportunity to go out and spend some nights in the RV. And so now we're going to talk for a few minutes with good old Mike and hear impressions of, with, about the Winnebago Via that he purchased last fall in the cold. Hello, RV Navigator listeners. Today we're lucky to have a repeat. Another visit with our friend Mike, yes. who has made a lot of progress in his RV journey since we talked to him last time. To refresh your memory, last time he had ordered a Via but had not yet taken delivery, and so he has a lot of new stuff to tell us about his adventures since that time. And we are currently in South Carolina, where Mike has driven, and so this has been a fabulous trip. Uh, so, Mike, tell us about the Via delivery experience from Winnebago. It was a good experience. Really? Good. It was. Being new to RV, I had a ton of questions to ask and, and actually wrote them down to mm-hmm. um, go up to the Winnebago dealer and go over with him. Uh, I actually had the opportunity to do it twice. <laughs> I, I got up there right when it was delivered just to see it. And a week later, pick it up and do the sales transaction uh-huh. and, and move forward. And doing it twice really helped. Uh-huh. That's that's a really good information for our listeners who are contemplating buying a new RV, is, is that you get so much information on delivery day that it's really hard to absorb it all, and that you actually made it over two days. I did, and they were very good. This is Winnebago in Rockford. Uh, it took me through it uh, the first week, and... Did a lot of nodding and, you know, probably absorbed about <laughs> half of it. Exactly. Went away for a week, created these other questions. I actually had somebody else there who went th- through it with me uh-huh. the second week. So it was a different person. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I will tell you that he was probably a little skeptical at the beginning with my being new to RVing, uh-huh. yeah. and he had to put up with my questions. But by the end of it, he acknowledged that they were good questions and uh, <laughs> well worth his time <laughs> good. Uh, to go through it. So how much time did you spend about Geez, I think both times I was there, more than three hours. Wow! wow. Each time. <laughs> well, but that's, this is this was truly your first RV experience, and that's yes. their job. And that's their job, and and it sounds like they took that seriously. Yes, they did. Good. Now, I forget why you couldn't take delivery when it first came in, and you had to go back. They just hadn't prepped it, and uh-huh. I was a little too anxious to uh-huh. get up there and and see what I yeah, had. Well, of course, you took delivery about at the, about the worst time of the year. Yes, I did. I took it in October. Really didn't give me a chance to do much of anything with it. Yeah, so you couldn't really test out all the systems because you couldn't even put water in it, really. Not at all. I spent a lot of time getting stuff for it, Uh and that was fun to do over the winter as well. But no, as far as a great road trip or being able to test those things, as I found out, it left something to be desired to pick it up that time of year. So you ordered it in August, as I recall, yes. and they took about 10, 12 weeks to deliver it. Right. So by the time you got it, it was October. And, no, well, that's the way it goes, I guess. Yeah, and then it was another week because uh, I had the jacks installed, so mm-hmm. that was interesting because they had to take it from Iowa to deliver to the dealer, mm-hmm. and the dealer turned around and went right back to Iowa. And That's crazy to go to, H, to go to our fabulous home base, HWH in Moscow, Iowa. <laughs> right. 
a fun experience. Since then, you have been able to get it ready to go, and and did you find it uh, plenty of space? And and the via. Let's see. Let's let's review what the via is. The via is a, a twenty four foot Class A motorhome built on the Sprinter chassis. Right. So it's a diesel. Yes. But you ride up high, so it's not like a Class C. And the other, the other model we've seen here that is kind of the same that's been built on the Sprinter from Winnebago is called the... View and Rio, R-E-Y-O. So those are basically the same, but a different sort of form factor. So a different driving experience then if you're up high or down low? I think it's pretty much the same. What you get into is the layout inside uh-huh, uh-huh. That, that makes the difference. I took the uh, 25T... Uh, which is two single beds that actually can be made into a king uh-huh. if I so choose. Uh-huh. The advantage I found because I wasn't I wasn't sure single bed was going to be comfortable and it is mm-hmm. was the storage space that allowed me uh-huh. in the back of the vehicle. Uh, it's a pass through, uh-huh. and that's a real plus, I would think. Absolutely, and I really appreciate that space. Uh-huh. I I'm not sure how people can get all that stuff you uh-huh. want to carry around without it. And you even brought your golf clubs. I did. And I think people have to really seriously consider this kind of storage when they make a purchase because that really can make or break the ex- enjoyability of your experience. And having a pass-through, which is highly unusual in your type of vehicle, the other floor plans do not have pass-through storage because the space is taken up by bed. Yes. So... You specifically wanted that. Don't you get some storage under the bed then? Uh, there's not pass-through, and it's not yeah, as it's big. Not I mean, he and I looked at this. Right. I I don't I, I don't know where you pick up any additional space. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's uh, it's used because, up because uh, at least mine is engineered where some of the stuff like the like the tanks are, appear to be below. The bed area. Mm-hmm. So the view and the Rayo don't have this pass-through. Actually, the, Ra- the Rayo, don't ask me why, uh-huh. Winnebago makes these both models. Uh-huh. They're the same price. They offer the uh-huh. same floor plans. I, I really uh-huh. don't understand the distinction, but uh-huh. you can get a Rayo in a, in a 25T, uh-huh. which is uh-huh. very same thing. So this was your first time driving one of these. Yes. <laughs> Literally, when you bought... Well, no, that was the second time, but this was the first time in any long trip, and how was it? Excellent. I thoroughly enjoyed the drive. I Mm -hmm. love the height. I feel comfortable with the length. I'm pleased with the suspension. I'm carrying a motor scooter on the back. Which we want to talk about. I have no problems uh, with anything that has to do with that. Uh At uh, 65 miles an hour, I'm getting 15 and a half miles per gallon. If I go down, which I'm, is about just a little less than double what we get, we get about nine. But if I'm doing 40, 45 to 50 miles an hour, I can get 18 miles per gallon. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm very pleased. So Mike, you have used the propane, and you've used the furnace. How has that been? Excellent. Uh, use the heat pump as an alternative and everybody understands that a heat pump is running your air conditioner in reverse and so you get heat out of it instead of cool and that's a really nice feature when you have electricity which of course is included in most campground and when it's not too cold and when it's not too cold which we hope we don't go camping in those <laughs> really cold weather. But so coming from where we live coming from where we happen. live so how'd you outfit your rig you didn't have anything 
Did you buy dishes and go to bedding and towels and yes to all of the above? <laughs> yeah, well, we know you have that all, but it, it started literally with with nothing and spending between October and taking off a couple of weeks ago uh-huh. buying things that I needed. I again without the experience of an uh-huh. actual trip, yeah. uh, I I was going uh, a lot on on the yeah. advice you guys offered and imagination <laughs> and amazon I, I have to tell you that that's a, just a great tool uh, to search and explore and get other people's opinions about uh-huh, the uh-huh. products that you're buying and uh, a lot of insight did you have to buy special small stuff or did you just buy regular stuff well, I tried to I mean, like a dish strainer, or yes, like a dish strainer definitely was was a small because uh-huh, you uh, have just a single sink. Yes, uh-huh. I, I would tell you Winnebago may not appreciate this, and I don't mean it in a negative way, but I really feel I bought an, an efficiency apartment. Uh-huh. That, that's what it boils uh-huh. down to. Uh-huh. It's very well suited for my needs uh-huh. as a as a single traveler with with a dog. I'm uh-huh. finding it very easy and convenient and enough storage to be comfortable uh-huh. and but i would also say that uh when i'm over in your rv uh-huh. I, I see many of the the comfort things uh-huh. that i would want if i was going to stay out for an extended time or like the winter months mm-hmm. i don't have that i don't see myself doing that mm-hmm. so i'm not concerned about it on a very positive side i'm pleased with the size and the ride and, and the ability to be able to get around easily. And that's a really good point that our listeners need to consider, is how are you going to use your RV? You know, there are RVs for weekenders, there are RVs for large families, there are RVs for couples like us, and there are RVs for your purpose. And I think you did enough shopping to make an appropriate choice for you, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a it's a good choice for everybody. I, of course, have found a few things that if I had lived in it before I bought uh-huh. it, I might be second-guessing myself. Uh-huh. The thing you raised with the... Um, sink? Sink. sink. The sinks are awfully small. Yeah. They often are in small rigs. I, the bathroom sink is uh, uh, next to useless other than maybe brushing your teeth. Uh-huh. Uh, the kitchen sink, I wash some large dishes this morning that wouldn't uh-huh. fit in there so you can get the job done uh-huh. you just have to be careful because you otherwise you're getting water all over the place yeah, yeah. but those are things you see when you go through it and you mm-hmm. go yeah 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 it's yeah, there. yeah yeah check it off the list it's it's there <laughs> right exactly but you don't think about the actual using <laughs> and that's and that's another key factor is is that you have to really pretend like you're using it and say are these things important so many people as we saw in the in the rv 2015 show that we watched you know they walk in and they say well how much hot water does it have or you know the inside wood is beautiful but really that's not what's going to sustain you as you live in it right and the thing i noticed in those shows is they have a lot of families on who have maybe four children and they look of course for room for everybody to sleep but then i keep thinking where's all their stuff gonna go when they get up they need stuff well i think about beds that you have to put away every Every day day. and you know yes the dinette makes into a bed and yes the sofa pulls out into a bed but you got to go through that every day to put those out and make them into beds. Put, you know, and the guy flops down on the bed and says, "Oh, this is really comfortable." But he's got to put sheets and blankets and stuff down there every day. And then when he wants to sit at the dinette for breakfast, he has to put them away somewhere. And when mom and dad come out and they want a cup of coffee, the kids are going to be sleeping there. I mean, you know, uh, 
you have to consider these uh, livability factors, and that's it's hard to do that when you look at the plush, fancy interior. And I would say for me, those things bother me a lot less when we're in a gorgeous place like the Grand Canyon, yes. and I look out the window and I'm distracted by the beauty, but... On a day or two, like we have just endured, where right. it's 50 degrees and raining, and, and you're locked has to inside, be inside, then those creature comforts become a lot more important to me. So you decided not to tow a car. Yes, I did. I, I made a conscientious decision not to uh-huh. do that. And so, what did you do? I bought a Vespa motor scooter instead. Oh, Vespa, mm-hmm. <laughs> a classic oldie, but it's new. It is, and I think I've got the the right size, 1500 cc. 150 cc. 150 cc, yes. We followed him down the road and he was going about 50. With it floored. With it floored. But how, how do you uh, bring it along? Well, I've got a rack on the back. Which you bought from Vespa? No. No, I, I just did research online. I looked at a lot of different racks, principally at first, those that looked lightweight and uh, and easy to use, but I changed my mind. Uh-huh. I, I ended up looking for something that really was heavier, all steel, uh-huh. and felt like it was going to last no yeah. matter yeah. what kind of conditions I got myself into. Uh-huh. And so the Vespa weighs about how much? Vespa weighs around 350 pounds. So you could not possibly lift it? No. The rack then is another how much? Uh, it's about 80 pounds. So it fits into the factory-installed receiver that uh, was there from the beginning. Yes. It wasn't an option. It was just part of it. Yes. And so then how do you get your bike on it? Well, that's been an experience, <laughs> okay. to say the least. If you, as I did, look at the video that's uh-huh. online about how this works. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so easy. You've got to... <laughs> A woman who weighs about 90 pounds uh, putting this bike up on this rack with one hand and and securing it down with the ratchet ties. Well, the reality is that uh, it's pretty difficult to do because so much of the weight on a motor scooter is on the back of the bike. Getting it up straight with only myself is a challenge. We've been practicing so that you can do it by yourself because you're going to be going camping by yourself. Yes. I've been there to help you, but I'm not intentionally helping you, except when it's about to fall off. You've been there as a spotter, and and no matter... And I've had to spot. No matter how good I get, I'll always try and find a spotter to just be there in case something happens. Well, this is a good way to meet people, too, so I don't don't see that You don't want to hurt yourself or the bike. So it has a ramp. Yes, it has a ramp that Uh that you push this up Which came as part of the package. Right, and and stows beside uh the rack afterwards. Uh So it's really just running it up the ramp. Yes. And tying it down. And tying it down. Right. Without it tipping over while you're doing that. And that's really among the hardest part is just getting it up. Now, once you get it up there is balancing it while you get the the straps on it to hold it, which is interesting. That that (laughs) wouldn't seem like that hard, but it is. Well, and and if, you've worked out a system, which should be pretty good. Yeah, you have to have a system down to make sure that you've got everything in place so that when you get it up there, you're mm-hmm. able to connect it all. And and once you get a strap, one strap attached mm-hmm. to it, it does It'll stand balance. there by itself, and you can adjust uh-huh. the others. So you put it up there and put the cover on it. How does it affect the handling of the motorhome? Not at all. Which uh-huh. It works out so very, very well. 500 or so f- plus pounds. Not make, a problem. Just makes no hangs difference. off the I, back. 
And it hang. It, it's about three feet to the back. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just don't notice it's there. Do not. And no gas mileage penalty either. Appears not to be. Uh-huh. So that's that's really good news. So you can. It's pretty much free to bring along. It is. And how do you feel it's going to serve you? Can you go to the grocery store and that sort of stuff? Haven't yet, but uh-huh. I think I can. I got some saddlebags for it. Uh-huh. I can throw some things in there, and I presumably will come well prepared, so I don't need yeah. to go for a lot of a lot of things. Yeah. But I'm really getting more comfortable uh-huh. riding it, even on the highway, getting it out on the road. Yeah, you had me going. 55, 60 <laughs> miles an hour, uh, which is kind of scary. Uh, to be honest, I I would prefer to be on roads where mm-hmm. 45 is more the norm. I think I'd feel a lot more comfortable there. But it did it. So do you see yourself doing your, your sightseeing driving the motorhome, which is small enough to drive around and go to most, most places, places, or do you see yourself doing it on the bike? I don't have an answer yet. Yeah. I, I, well, I am pleased that I can pick up pretty easy and drive around with the motorhome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think if I have to go any distance to do anything, I'd probably pick up the motorhome uh-huh. uh-huh. and go with that. But short, go to the store, move around any within 20, 25 miles. Or even I like the campsite, we, we stayed in Myrtle Beach, which the campground was huge 12 1500 sites and just to get out of the campground <laughs> would take you so to walk to a grocery store would have been ridiculous and you know to pick up your motorhome to go a block and a half to the grocery store would have been kind of silly so i mean the bike provides you e- even there just to get out of the campground and go a few blocks to the grocery store the bike would have been convenient for that right but what did they do to us at that campground <laughs> all right oh now that we're going to talk about this <laughs> They said you cannot use your motor scooter to go in or out of the campground. This is very unusual, but Myrtle Beach has some specific problems that they're trying to solve, and the campgrounds have eliminated motorcycles or two-wheeled motorized vehicles in driving in the campgrounds. Period. Period. (laughs) And I was very shocked that even a moped of such small size would be included because the great outdoors, where we will be heading in the not-too-distant future, has a ban on motorcycles, but they clearly state that motor bikes or motor scooters are excluded from that. So there you're okay. And I've never run across another campground that really has restrictions. Has banned them that way. So, but to be fair, we haven't thought about it either because we haven't. No, but you kind of know it, I think. Had a but there, they were very clear that no motorized two-wheel vehicles, and I think it's to keep kids off of the internal roads as well as the bikers that come for Bike Week and, and other associated events that are citywide. The interesting thing is that there, I would have used that motor scooter right, to go out and, yes, and yeah, see yeah. a lot outside the campground because right, right kind of road and a right. lot of things were right. going on there. Nearby. So how's the dog taken to the motorhome? It's been a learning process. Oh, really? Yes. I've moved uh, both beds I have for her at home into the motorhome to make uh-huh. her feel comfortable. So this is her first trip, too? It is. Uh-huh. And she was very concerned about everything oh, that, really? was, that was going on. Did she just mind the driving? And ver- No, doesn't mind the driving at all. She you hop- take her in the car at home? She, yes. Uh-huh. She hops up on the passenger seat, and she lays there the day mm-hmm. while, while I while do the driving. driving. It's mm-hmm. really great. But to see her change 
for example, in a way she gets in and out of the motorhome. I mean, oh, really? at first she would not do it. You know, if you yank her and she awkward with the steps and things like uh-huh. that, now it's not a problem. She just, and she definitely considers the motorhome her home now. Uh-huh. She seems comfortable getting out of it, going around, doing doing the walks that we do and things. But she's a homebody and likes to get back and. And has no problem staying in it while we're out doing other yeah, things. That's, that's important, very important, I think. This is your first trip. We've been gone close to two You've been gone close to two weeks. Actually, probably more than two weeks right. now. And uh, joining us here in South Carolina while we are <laughs> gone for two or three months. But this is the kind of trip that you anticipate taking, a couple of weeks. Yes, and, and even shorter. And even uh, shorter, sure. Two weeks would be kind of the maximum that you would be gone. It feels right. Uh-huh. I, I'm I'll be gone two and a half weeks on this trip, uh-huh. and I'm very comfortable. The time so far, I think we're, well, we're just about two weeks into it mm-hmm. now. It's just gone like lickety-split. Yeah. It's really gone fast. Great. And the experience of driving it by yourself, so you have a... Or parking a, it by yourself, Well, maybe? you have the GPS built in as navigation tool, and so you've driven on the major expressways and the byways, and, and so how's that been? For you as a single? It's been fine. The uh-huh. GPS is just a godsend yeah. in terms of yeah. being able to help me. Uh, but And do you like it built in? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I would prefer that it be on a little angle mm-hmm. so I can see it better mm-hmm. on the dash. But as far as it being built in, it works just fine. Uh-huh. And you haven't had any snafus? It, it taking you wrong or you questioning or not being able to understand the directions? Or not and, noticing a turn soon enough. Yeah, not noticing a turn. Have not. Yet, uh-huh. no. The only mistake I made was actually going into Ocean Lakes, uh, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> where, where it said in Myrtle Beach, had, where yeah. it had kind of an angle uh-huh. turn. And looking back, I mean, it was right in front of me. Yeah. Uh, but, well, I, yeah. but I kept going to the right, and and then it immediately told me, yeah. "You blew it, buddy." <laughs> Try a U-turn, and you've got the capability to do a, a U-turn. I do more readily than we do. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, that, th- those things happen, and you got to be expecting that. But you've been pleased with the driving experience and not nothing hair-raising? and No, potholes uh, yeah. leave a lot to be desired. I, but uh, we all experience those. <laughs> but it's different in a car than in a Yeah, yeah, but I'm, but I'm saying that you as a single. More, you know, I, think. I did start out uh, on a trip down here perhaps a little earlier than I should have mm-hmm. in the dark, but I, in order to mm-hmm. keep up with the time that I wanted to make. So how many miles do you drive in a day? I have found that my comfort level is 350 miles a day. Uh-huh. That would really be ideal. Uh, I would that, tend to that agree. That puts me between six and seven hours of driving. So your number one surprise <laughs> with your RVing experience. What we should have told you <laughs> and forgot. I don't know that I have a big surprise. Uh-huh. Really, yeah. working with you guys and just your ability to allow me to ask yeah. so many questions yeah. and and reach out in terms of your experience, I felt really well prepared uh-huh. to do this. And I, I've got a little laundry list of things I want to do That's... when I get back, but I really felt comfortable doing it. I really wouldn't recommend going out and trying to spy yourself uh-huh. without some support like you guys have uh-huh. been. It just makes a difference in your comfort level and yeah, and not, and not make stupid mistakes you feel more that, that we've all made and that we can save you from, <laughs> from yes. doing. So is, are there maintenance issues that you are 
worried about or well i'm sure i've got a huge learning curve uh-huh. i mean you read the blogs and uh, all the things that can go wrong yeah. with a motorhome <laughs> and you go why, why am i doing this <laughs> like what do i do when this yeah. happens yeah. i i don't know how to read a schematic i would be lost frankly if uh, I had to find a circuit breaker. Uh-huh. I mean, I know where they are in the coach, but they hide them in other places under uh-huh. the seats, uh-huh. down below. It's But the lesson to that is if it does happen, take your time. There's no rush. Get out the book. They provide plenty of instructions. If you can't get it fixed yourself, there appear to be enough mm-hmm. RV places that you can go to yeah. and make it happen. And they're in your GPS. Yes, they are. <laughs> so you can right. find one pretty easily, yes. which is one of the advantages of having the Rand McNally GPS because it has all the service centers and propane places and and campgrounds built into it so that you can easily just press the button and it'll take you if, you, <laughs> if you're driving. Show you what's nearby. Yeah. Right. And I think we found the same sort of thing uh, having just attended the Freightliner chassis seminars that I went to for two days, which we talk about in the main part of the podcast, but I learned that if you have trouble, give their 24-7 number a call. Uh There's somebody there to help you. It's not something that's intuitive. I tried to fix it myself, but they are there to help you and give you a better experience. So I I don't know whether Winnebago has a similar service, but it certainly would be worth checking out. And it's free, and it's included for the life of your vehicle. Really? So So why not call them? And they and, can help and you they with really those. were there on a Sunday morning when we called them. Uh, exactly. <laughs> we had to call them. Yeah. Right. And uh, Well, you're right. I don't know that Winnebago has 24-7, but CoachNet, which uh-huh. they give you a year right. of, right. does have that. And right. that would be important to remember if something happened, too. I think my biggest surprise uh-huh. getting to uh, that question was probably how small the coach has become uh-huh. over the two weeks that uh-huh. I've been out. Really? When uh-huh. I looked at it, we moved around in it when I and was buying it. compared to a it, car, it's so big. And probably we've added to that because you've spent a lot of time in our huge coach, which makes yours feel smaller when you go back, I would think. That could very, very well be. But it's, it's not as big as I thought it was uh-huh. when I was moving around mm-hmm. in it and, mm-hmm. and testing it. Mm-hmm. And you're right, mm-hmm. Martha. When I come over to yours and how big and expansive it is. I mean, you remember when I first came over the first time, I'm sitting there going, wow, this is really something. And it's just as easy to drive. Yeah. <laughs> for, for some of us. That's where we might disagree. <laughs> so are there any other hints and tips that you give to new RVers or people potentially thinking about RVing? Make lists. Ah, that's a good one, yes. Yeah. I have a notebook. I have uh, created lists for winterizing, dewinterizing. Because those are things we have to do even at this time of year. You're thinking that you might have to winterize even as late as March, which is where we are now, uh, that you might have to winterize again when you go home. I've looked at the weather forecast. They've got the potential for 20-degree nights, and all you need is one bad night like that, and you've got a problem. And as we have to emphasize to our listeners that... If it gets below freezing and your RV is out there unheated, you better winterize it. <laughs> even mm-hmm. even if during the day it's nice, 
Uh, it's got to be winterized. But if you have your furnace going and things like that, uh, the heat going, you'll be in good shape. Absolutely. The, and the lists, uh, they're so helpful. I, the first time I And did, these are lists you created? Yes. Uh-huh. I created them myself. For example, uh, when I went to empty the, the black and the gray uh-huh. tanks, uh, black was no problem. That just moved right through very nicely. And then I, I have a pump. Which is unusual. We used for the gray tank, and mm-hmm. so I hit the button on that, and nothing's coming out. Uh-oh. And I'm going, oh, this isn't good. Uh, no, look at your list. Sure enough, there's a uh, pull control down. you have to pull out to get that started. And uh-huh. as soon as I did that, that pump worked great. Yeah, that's <laughs> a really good example. So making lists, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. And we will, I think, end on that and say thanks and Many happy miles on the road to you, and then we hope to see you again. I should tell you one more thing. Okay, good. Because on my second night out, I pulled into a campground, got out, and I started talking to the people next door to me. Pretty quickly, I found out that when I pulled in, the wife said to the husband, that may be Ken and Martha's friend (laughs) on the podcast because he's got a motor scooter on the back. And he's got a dog. And it's a brand new... <laughs> and it's a brand new Winnebago Via. And so that's testimony to... To the reach of the podcast. The Wiseman Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope all the stories are that good and positive. We appreciate those listeners for uh, making the contact with you. And, of course, we always appreciate listeners making contact with us. And we've had some very interesting experiences as a result of that. So... With that said, we will say thank you once again, and we will turn it back over to the monthly podcast. The regularly scheduled podcast. (laughs) We thank Mike for sharing his insights and his uh, time with us. That was about two weeks. After we visited Myrtle Beach, we went down to a very different sort of camping experience, a National Forest Service campground. So we paid only $10 a night, and there were 18 sites rather than the 1,800 sites at our Myrtle Beach campground. We were on the Inland Waterway, which goes from Fort Lauderdale up to Boston. And so it's a transportation road. And you read that uh, it was the superhighway of the Revolutionary War. Colonial times. The colonial times. So it was a very different sort of experience there because the sites were big and there was just water and electric, of course. And it was the first time all winter we could have a campfire, Campfire, which to me used to always be part of camping, but but harder and harder to find. Yes, so that was a, a, a good experience. We spent another week there, and now we are in Charleston, South Carolina, which is an interesting city to visit. Uh, historically very interesting and uh, some nice attractions, even in the rain. We are visiting here to go to a family wedding. So from here, we will be heading back to Florida unexpectedly. Unlike the original plan, which was to drive home from here and not have quite so far to drive, we are going back where we started, to Titusville, to finish the legalities of paying for the campsite that we purchased when we were there at the Great Outdoors. On April 1st, no joke here, we will be the owners of a campsite in the Great Outdoors in Titusville, Florida. So hopefully some of you will be coming down to visit us. And for the people who already live there, we will be coming, coming down to visit. We will be down to visit you. We're back. And we're back. So uh, other topics that we should be talking about. Uh, we had a nice email from Tom. I'm going to just kind of take part of his um, I talked about the batteries uh, 
and the misconception that people have about converting DC amps into AC amps. Not people, RV salesmen. RV that salesmen. was really appalling. Yes. We are in marine electronics, he says. We deal with batteries all the time. You are absolutely correct in saying on what you said about the RV salesman. Let's say you have a nice toaster that draws 1,000 watts at 120 volts AC. Do the calculations, and it comes out around 93 amps at 12 volts DC. Don't forget to add a little bit more for aged batteries or undersized wiring. I run into this all the time when working on boats. I have found 12-volt batteries in parallel, which is a no-no, and always find undersized wiring. As you have said, it's hard to find batteries that really live up to their advertised capacity. I deal strictly with a battery company called Dyno. That's D-Y-N-O. This company started many years ago making batteries for the fish boat fleet. Those guys demand heavy-duty batteries that could take terrible beating. They put a maximum amount of lead in each deep cycle battery and they have extra strong reinforcements in each cell you can trust their advertised so uh, that just reinforces uh, what I've been saying about batteries you cannot just convert AC to DC amps and that your batteries even though we have uh, 50% of our capacity so we have 800 amps so we get to use 400 amps that's not she just is looking perplexed. It's nice to know that you know what you're talking about, but that just seems wrong. Why? Because if I have it's, a battery that has a capacity of 10, I want to use 10. Yeah, but the problem is, is that you, if you use it all the way down to discharge, you then will... Then it will come back. It will, you'll be zapping its life. I, I have been told that many yes. times, but I think it's wrong. Yeah. My little Itasca has one 12-volt battery, so you know I keep an eagle eye on it. My two favorite types of inverters are Maxim and Outback. They both are excellent. The really great thing about these inverters is they are field serviceable. Both companies are terrific to deal with, and I've had nothing but good luck with them. So that's good news. And another listener by the name of Jim... Wrote to us about a, a product that it looked to me was not available for purchase yet. It started it's out as a Kickstarter. Right. And just as we often feel a kinship with marine people who deal with a lot of the same space issues that we do, uh, this item was invented by someone who lives in Hong Kong. Anybody who lives in Hong Kong has the same space issues that we do. And he looked at the um, weight-carrying capacity of honeycombed-type items um cardboard like packing materials yeah. and he has bound them together the way you bind a book and um <laughs> made little chairs and tables and stuff you have to look at the picture in right. there um i i see them as something that i might want to take on a picnic and sit on okay so um, so cool idea and this is uh the website that jim recommends or that he found this on is called book B-O-O-K-N-I-T-U-R-E dot com. And this is a Kickstarter project, and whether it comes to fruition, they say delivery in June, but if you want to order some small fold-up furniture for your RV. It's very versatile looking. It's very versatile, right. We have, of course, been dealing with lots of Wi-Fi in every campground, and I have to say overall that the Wi-Fi has been better than we have experienced in previous years. Yeah, I don't know if we're staying in nicer places or if campgrounds have started to get the message that the Internet is as important as oxygen these days. But we do want to kind of reiterate what Greg Gerber said in a, in a 
editorial that he wrote for RV Daily and saying that RV campgrounds should not be advertising Wi-Fi unless they really have good Wi-Fi. And we talked to uh, Mike, who came down from Illinois and stayed in the campground, and they advertised Wi-Fi, but it wasn't working, and... Two weeks later, our friend Charlie came down from Illinois, stayed in the same campground, and it still wasn't working. If they have a very slow service, then it is not really Wi-Fi. I mean, you cannot get by with slow service. I do a, a speed check every time I connect up to Wi-Fi in a campground just to see what kind of service they're providing us. And it's very easy to do you, with a web browser and a web page. You can easily check to see the speed of your Wi-Fi. And if it's 0.03 megabits a second, then you're not getting what you're paying for. And to me, get rid of the pool, get rid of many of the other services, but oh, the have, pool is nice too. But have good Wi-Fi. Well, Greg Gerber is kind of suggesting some minimum standard that RVs yes. need to meet in order to be able to advertise that they have free Wi-Fi. But considering the lack of uniformity in the campground industry, we've talked about this before, except for KOAs, campgrounds are very independent and do whatever they feel like doing. Um, we've had many wiring issues over the years for the same reason, um, so it's hard to imagine that they would ever comply to such a standard, but it's a great idea. You want to know what you're getting before you get there. And certainly when we read RV Park reviews before we commit to a right. campground, we right. often look for people's comments about how their internet experience was. That's important. Yeah, and as we mentioned to you, uh, Bright House Town in the Great Outdoors offered us great service. And in this campground that we are in currently, which is the Oak, Oak Plantation Oak Plantation Campground in Charleston, South Carolina, very nice campground, and they have excellent Wi-Fi service. And I, by excellent, I mean this it here it's uh, 15 megabits a second or so, which is a nice fast service. At home we have 50, but. 15 is plenty, and we are planning to do some streaming. And the campground is pretty full. And it has maintained its service. It goes down to 6 or 7 at night when, everybody when everybody's back. using it. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's been very, very good. And that's what you need to look for. You know, you're paying for Wi-Fi service, and you're paying to it at your campsite, I think. I found an interesting article about uh, tr 2015 trends in RVing. <laughs> And this looks like it could be something worth uh, worth reading, and I will actually just kind of refer you to the article. But they talk about repurposing the garages, you know, the for toy haulers, for toy haulers, and making them side opening and maybe using them for other purposes. So that's kind of an interesting idea. Outdoor uh, kitchens, we've seen people using them, and that's a very nice feature to have. And. Some nice, interesting, innovative ideas that uh, you can look for as you look for a new RV if you are out shopping. Another article that I was very glad to see asks the question I have often asked myself, are RV trips cheaper than other forms of vacationing? Because I have a hard time factoring in how much we have spent for this lovely <laughs> RV that I am sitting in today and dividing it out by the number of days we are on the road versus hotel costs. Certainly, yeah. if you're just comparing hotel costs to campground costs, there's no comparison. But when you factor in the purchase right, price right, of right. the rig, it has always left me wondering. And this article reassures us that it's a deal. <laughs> They did an, uh, an accurate study where they compared the price of hoteling it versus a... The four-person group saved anywhere from 38% to 62%, depending on the type of coach they used, and the two-person group saved anywhere from 14 to 38%. 
So we can pat ourselves on the back and say we are how thrifty we are. are. And you get to sleep in your own bed, and that's a nice factor. New fridges being offered by Dometic. Of course, this whole conversation about amps from AC to DC amps and that business was started by people owning residential residential fridges fridges and trying to keep them going, and that's been something that uh, has always been an an interesting issue for us. And Dometic, who's one of the biggest manufacturers of absorptive refrigerators, which are the old-style propane electric refrigerators, which I still... The ones that catch on fire all the time? Well, they have had some history of fires Uh because it it has a flame back there, and if you're going to have... Oh, Jesus... Anyway, Dometic has reconfigured their refrigerators, and they have a nice new one, and hopefully they've done some reconfiguration of the cooling system in the back. To prevent it from catching fire. Right. And so they've come out with a new one that has a, a bottom freezer, which is which is interesting, kind of like the residential freezer. A more resident approach. And so a substantially larger size, too, which is nice. And compartments that you can set for the various right. kinds right. of four food compartments, that you're right. putting in them, much more like a residential fridge exactly and then the last link we're going to put on the website this month um, is about boondocking this (laughs) group i don't know who they are exactly has put together a membership of people who are offering boondocking spots near their homes then you can go online as a potential boondocker (laughs) and research where you're going and uh, contact these people and make uh, like a free reservation to um, stay one to three days that's generally what they encourage uh, for free at these boondocking places. So that's kind of a neat idea. And usually they're like somebody's driveway or... Yeah, generally or, with no or facilities. Or like the one we looked at that was near our house was a local RV dealer that let people stay in their parking lot for the night. Uh-huh. Totally boondocking. But certainly but where free. we live, there are very few places to camp, and that's a nice opportunity for people who are visiting the northern part of the Chicago area. Yes, yes, because there are no campgrounds that are really close. And that's at boondockerswelcome.com. So, where do we head from here? Well, as we said, we're going back to Titusville to the Great Outdoors to finalize the purchase of our spacious postage stamp size <laughs> lot. And after we have got that all organized and signed all the forms and cleaned the place up, we are finally going to head home. Heading home to the warmth of the Chicagoland area. Hopefully, and warmth I'm, will be I'm the operative. I'm hoping room. against hope that I will not have to winterize again. But all these other folks, like Mike, who are going home are going to have to winterize because it is uh, on a snow day today that uh, the, he will be arriving home. So We're still seeing... We are, we are hopefully a couple of weeks later, so we won't have to do the winterizing. We're thing. still seeing evening temperatures in the 20s at home. So, And they're even talking about freezing here in Charleston. So, dear listener, we do appreciate you listening, and we would love to hear from you if you'd like to send us an email. And if you get a chance, maybe you want to go to the iTunes website and uh, give us a little shout out there and write us a review. We like to see those too. And if you have any of the comments, we would love to hear from you. So we will say what we always say and we really mean it. And it has worked out wonderfully. This winter especially. This winter especially. And I guess maybe the reach of the podcast has gotten big enough so that people actually do look for us. Anyway, if you're in a campground near us in the not too distant future, Please come over and say hello. We'd love to meet you. Yes, indeed. Otherwise, we will see you next month on the radio. Happy travels.